okay, who's gonna <laughs> who's gonna imitate a teenager first? Um, well, I have to start recording first, so just leave me alone, okay? Like, I'm really God. busy. God. Get out of my room. You don't understand me. You don't understand me. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the Bowie Book Club. I'm Christiane. And I am Greg. And we've had a book club for over a decade. And we read a lot of books. Sometimes we talked about them. Mostly we just got drunk and gossiped. But with the sad loss of David Bowie in 2016, we decided to get our act together and read through his list of 100 most influential books in no particular order. In fact, in a completely nonsensical order. And make wild speculation as we go. So uh, what did we read this time? We read Teenage... Duh. <laughs> like as if. Do, do teenagers <laughs> say that? I don't think so. I think that I think like is now everyone's language. Yeah, and true. as if didn't last. Oh, okay. It didn't stick around. Nah. But that was the most radical phrase. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> So, we, so we, we can't keep doing this. Yeah, let's let's move on. So, Teenage by the uh, wonderfully named John Savage. Savage, who is um, who just celebrated his birthday? By the way, his birthday is at the beginning of this month of September. So, happy belated birthday, John! Mister Savage. Savage, uh, who is a music journalist, um, who I guess really was. His formative years were around the British punk movement, which is what he covered a lot of, right? That was yeah. Of his he had an uh, early fanzine called London's Outrage in '76, and started that working. That was 1976. Y- yes, by the way. not not 1876, where this book starts. Just about, <laughs> um, and they started uh, working for Sounds um, and a bunch of uh, American fanzines like Search and Destroy and Bump and Slash. Um. Punk and New Wave. That was his thing. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I think the most notable book that uh, he's written was England's Dreaming, which, which was... It's a fantastic book. Oh, you've read it? Yeah, yeah. What's it about? It's a, a history of the rise of punk rock in the UK and the US. Um, oh. it's, it's, de- it's a definitive reference. Um, I remember checking it out of the library in Boston... Um, when I, when I was going there in that beautiful old library, uh, and I devoured it, um, and wished I had all those records, but they're very expensive. Some of them. Yeah. It looks like, um, from what I was reading, he also made a bunch of like compilation CDs. Um, and one of them was called England's dreaming, which covered like, probably the same material from the book. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, and and interestingly, one of the other compilations is called Viridian nineteen seventy, um, which which puts forth kind of the argument that nineteen seventy was a high point for popular music, contrary to critical opinion. Um, what what did critical opinion put it? Like fifties? I, I would say probably whenever Sgt. Pepper's came out, uh, so okay. 68. Um, so he just moved it back a bit. Yeah, yeah, he 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 got out his calibrator and and, and did <laughs> a fine tuning and landed on 1970. I'm his trying to think. Rule. Um, what Bowie record came out in 1970? Oh, I, hold I feel on. like I, have... I feel like I should know this. Um, and I'm I'm gonna guess that Black Sabbath's first record came out in 1970. Man gonna... who sold the world. Yeah, one of one of the best ones. So yeah, maybe maybe Savage has got something there. Yep. Oh, Paranoid came out in in 1970, which which is a f- amazing record, formative record. Formative. Formative. Um, a number of Savage's essays are you know all over media or like um, media and music magazines like Mojo and um, some stuff like that. He did a catalog, exhibition catalog, also called B 
Beatles to Bowie, the 60s Exposed um, with Terrence Pepper. I guess that was a show at the National Portrait Gallery in 2009. So that was after Teenage was written. Teenage was 2007, correct? Right. Yep. Yep. I keep asking you to confirm <laughs> things for me. <laughs> I, I guess I am your Google today. <laughs> <laughs> Is that correct? <laughs> <laughs> Please confirm. Uh. Yeah, and so teenage, in some ways, you think, yeah, this totally connects to what a music journalist would write about, but it's not about music specifically. It's it's about why there is a gr- an age grouping called teenager and kind of where it originated from, and and um, and and the sort of. It, it talks about the culture that emerged from it, but but in a very broad kind of way, not not in the s- specific sort of we're going to talk about this musical artist or this singer. Though there is a little bit of that, but not, you know, it, this isn't a music journalism book for sure. Yeah, which is what I think was surprising. But I I really feel like like um, before the deluge and some of the other books that have come up on this list it feels like it fills in some interesting historic gaps for me with, with a, with a focus, you know, so it's not just before the deluge was specifically about what went on in Berlin, you know, between world war one to cause, you know, what happened in world war two, but this is broader than that, but it, it fills in some really interesting historic gaps in my education. But what's also interesting is how, narrow it is in in some ways like it really does focus on the experience of boys in the united states in the uk and in germany to some extent but not as much about women or girls and very little about people of color Um, yeah and we'll we'll, i think we'll get on to that in, in a little bit um but it's a survey that has a very narrow focus yeah and uh, and probably because that's what material is available for study and that as as we all know that white men have formed our culture (laughs) or or at least they're the ones that tell us that they've formed our culture the recorded culture i suppose right right so they've they've always been kind of centered whether that's really the case or not uh so yeah the the book published in 2007 is um called Teenage, the Prehistory of Youth Culture, 1875 to 1945. So there's there's a number of things that I feel like I expected it to talk about. You know, what is a teenager? What does a teenager think about? What, how moody and dramatic they are. And, but this is, this is about the prehistory of the identification of teenagers. So before we thought of this group of people between... 10, 13, 14 to like early 20s when when initially it was like you're a kid and then you're an adult. Suddenly this space became a little bit more um, a question mark showed up of like, well, this is a little bit different. You know, maybe it's its own category of development. And right prior to, you know, 1850 or so, when you turned 12, you went to go work in a mine until your lungs disintegrated or you got married to someone you've never met before to preserve a family um, <laughs> connection. Um, but now you have time to listen to The Cure for a few years before you go work in the mine. Until and your write lungs really disintegrate. bad poetry. <laughs> right. That's that's the main thing that teenagers do, if, if, if my own experience yeah, <laughs> holds. Yeah, <mine> too. <laughs> But what what was interesting oh. for me was that, you know, in my head and, um, you know, kind of growing up watching TV in the 70s, the first teenager for me was, you know, Richie Cunningham. So I expected at the end of this book to be like, and coming up next, happy days. Uh, <laughs> but it was really interesting to to hear about how it formed instead of being this sort of fully developed thing that by the time the 70s came around was really sort of solidified this is what teenagers are um but you know prior to 1945 it wasn't really clear and there was a lot of different sort of trajectories that um that it took before it really settled into 
teenagers as bad poetry writers. Though, so I would say the framing of the book starts with Marie Bashkirtsev. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Bashkirtsev and Jesse Yeah, Pomeroy, that sounds about right. Who, uh, so they sort of start the story and then we end with like the first publication of Seventeen magazine in 1944. So the um, late 19th century... Marie Bashkirtseff was writing kind of the same sort of journal I wrote when I was her age, which is like, oh, my life is so dramatic and I should be doing so much more. And I'm about to figure out all the questions of the of life and the universe and I'll be the first one to do it. And it's really pretentious and precious. But I guess he focuses on her maybe because she she wrote this journal and we have it still. And it expressed the kind of in between, like she dies young, sorry, spoiler. Oh, so, come on. <laughs> so, so her life was this sort of frozen in place at this time period, which we now call teenagerhood. Um, and that, that emotional upheaval and, and curiosity and energy that she expresses counterpoint with Jesse Pomeroy, who was 15 years old and murdered peers. <laughs> and, 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 and kind of exhibited the sort of lack of understanding of consequences and, and sort of lack of concern for others' lives that is, is you know, considered part of teenagerness, the sort of recklessness and sociopathic behavior. Yeah, of course. <laughs> That's that's what we expect from our thirteen to twenty five year olds. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so we start there, and um, we, I think, pretty early on, he says that that's that's around the time that we start identifying adolescence. What was it like, nineteen oh four or something? When G. Stanley Hall G. wrote about Stanley Hall. <laughs> Gee, Stanley? <laughs> it sounds Golly. like something a teenager would say in the 40s. <laughs> um, yeah, so he identified, he wrote a book called Adolescence and uh, said there's this other age group that we should be focusing on. And then Savage sort of talks about a whole mess of stuff that 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 comes after that, that is looking at... Is that, it's kind of more like events and economic social forces that are sort of creating a more obvious gap between childhood and adulthood. And, and what really kind of it points to is the, 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 the effect that the, the two world wars in the 20th century had, you know, in, in, in economics, in the economic sense, in the effect on on teenagers and, and, and young adults and, and just how, de- you know, kind of devastating and disruptive the, those two major events were. Like, I think those are the kind of like hinges that he, he kind of puts his themes around. Um, and without those, the book really does kind of zigzag around, like, like you said, to different events and different sort of like cultural moments, but they do seem to kind of hang off of the world wars as the, like the main sort of, um, things that push teenagerness in one direction or another. Yeah, and he he sort of goes between America in one chapter and then Britain in one chapter and then Germany in one chapter and then kind of cycles back through showing what's happening to each of the groups of this age during each period. So like how the Depression affected you know, youth in America or the post-war effect of, of all these soldiers coming back from war, having felt suddenly like they were, they were sacrificed by the older generation. Like they were kids and they were all fighting and, and they, they don't come back to anything great. And so that kind of anger at the status quo um, and that work culture, he talks a bit about like labor laws being instituted. Like you were saying, 
you're 12, you go to work in the mines or the factory or something. But as labor laws started to restrict age of work, like permissibility, school started to become a longer period in your life because you can't work until you are, I don't remember what it, like it was like 14 and 16, 18, it just kept getting pushed back. So you started spending more time at school and in leisure time and, and yeah, and, creates, and eventually in, in the consumption of, of things that are marketed to you. And, 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 yeah. and there's this sort of pattern that kind of comes up where a, a youth groups start to form, you know, in, in the, the States it's, it's around the Boy Scouts in the, in the UK. I, I think it's similar, you know, the, the Boy Scouts as a way of kind of trying to control adolescent energy. Um, but it's also like kind of, there's this pull against it, which you can see with groups like pre World War One, the the Wanderer Vogel in Germany and or the neo pagans in the UK that are trying to kind of pull away from society and from like kind of the received culture. And then when those groups you know, what interrupts those groups is is a war, you know, that, that destroys that entire age group and then they sort of like begin again after that. Yeah, the community thing was a big, while we were chatting about this, we were sort of focusing on what the the main, main points of the youth movements were. And it was like community that was, that was built either externally, so like the Boy Scouts and things, like we're going to channel this disruptive energy into somewhere, or the response groups that were, you know, gangs or the the what were those called the wild clicks of like fashion groups or or, the, or crime groups or just groups formed by youth themselves um out of necessity and bonding um and and out of a sense of being different from the society as a whole and and, and that's like most clearly seen in the um the response to the Hitler youth in, in World War II in Germany where groups mm-hmm. formed to rebel against that. In, right, in, because the Hitler youth was this was this the ultimate forced control. attempt, yeah, that, that Hitler was saying, we are gonna have cradle to grave loyalty, so we need to have we need to grab all these youth and make this space for them to be indoctrinated, essentially. And and these groups you know, of uh, small groups of of teenagers putting themselves in extreme danger and, and losing their lives in most cases to go up against, you know, a society that's, you know, almost 100% against them. Um, and, and that's attempting to control their, their age group. Um, and, you know, in, in which, you know, is very clear in the book, the Hitler Youth was meant to send wave after wave of teenagers to die. And, yeah. you know, right up until the end of the war, that's what they did. Um, and the Boy Scouts was meant to indoctrinate teenagers into a militaristic, you know, society or, or to, to kind of prep them to, you know, go to war. Even though, there, you know, at the time there wasn't really any wars to be fought, um, but the intention was to control that energy. Yeah, and the... The idea that that youth, that adolescence, what soon becomes called teenager, are just naturally in conflict, that it's, they are just antagonistic, um, is also really interesting to see in, in relationship to these groups, that there's, there are groups that are trying to manipulate them, and so their conflict makes sense. But then there's also conflicts of just, we believe we have the right answer and we think that the older generation has the wrong answer but then there's also these like crazy sociopathic youth like like the pomeroy kid who is just i just wanted to see what would happen if i killed all these people or the uh savage talks about the leopold and loeb story where the two rich kids decide they're going to pull off the perfect crime murdering, you know, a peer and they're 
it's just to see if they can and how groups of girls were like gaga over them like that they were some kind of heroes for doing this monstrous thing but maybe it's just fame in itself was what was appealing and what's what's interesting too is that it while he talks a lot of, about those sort of external conflicts and 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 sort of the teenage group being pulled in in one direction or another um whether it's you know society attempting to control them or their own kind of push away from that he doesn't talk a lot about how teenagers feel internally or that sort of like internal conflict that you know that that you're in from like 12 to 20 or or in my case 48 where you, <laughs> you know that intense sort of self-hatred you know and that and that sort of divide between not knowing exactly what you are like he doesn't really get into how teenagers feel even though you know being a teenager is like when you feel the most yeah it's why you write bad poetry while listening to the cure and painting your fingernails black <laughs> and that that's my biggest um critique of the book there cannot be a book about teenagers that does not include the cure <laughs> I, I just refuse to accept that <laughs> Neither should there be. Right. <laughs> yeah, that that lack of, I mean, there's there's a little bit of of analysis of what youth think about things. So, like during one of the few times that the that women are the focus of the discussion is um, during World War II and girls going to work in factories and being, you know, dance hosts for, for GIs. And, um, there's a little bit of discussion about the, the misery and the sense that there's no future and, and the number of girls that feel like there's no men left and, and what is the future going to be like? But it, it doesn't get into like, that's, that's a truly terrifying circumstance of war to be feeling these things. It's not the, the general state of of dramatic turmoil that it, that youth are addressing the world with. Actually, Margaret Mead. He talks about Margaret Mead doing her research uh, in Samoa. I, I think it was right, like she, li life and death in in Samoa. Coming of age. Coming of age. Samoa. That's right. She she questioned that there was there was this assumption that like youth are all in conflict all the time. And she said, well, maybe, maybe they're in conflict partly because they, they feel antagonism towards like our cultural consumerism and repression. And that if they didn't have that, they wouldn't be in conflict. They would just be exploring like kids. Um, so that maybe our culture itself creates the conflict and emotional turmoil that youth feel that makes them go through this state of we, we aren't we aren't considered fully adults yet we don't get to make our own decisions we don't get to control our world but we have these feelings that are more than childhood feelings and we can't act on them and, and now that i'm thinking about it one of the one of the interesting things about this book is that savage doesn't kind of weigh in one way or another like he, I think he is trying to present it objectively as as we're as just talking about how this sort of notion of of being a teenager grew, and then towards the end of the the book, it, it almost I was going to say that it ends on this sort of happy note of, well, you know, through Seventeen magazine and through the the advent <laughs> of like po the post war consumer boom, finally teenagers had found their home. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, where now yeah. we know what to do with them. But but I think he is just trying to to kind of say this is the way that it was, not not saying that it was a good or a bad thing. Yeah, and actually that the last portion was sort of more depressing to me that that there's a lot of things of learning how to be something in between adult and child made a lot of sense during these periods of you know industrialized labor's rise and then war and and um, depression and then war again like but the fact that after the war the second world war 
kids are teenagers are sort of put in this place of, well, we don't want them to take our jobs. They should stay in school longer. And we are going to create a whole marketing blitz around all of their emotional turmoil. And we're going to take all the stuff they hate about themselves or they're unsure about. And we're going to create like stuff and market it so that they feel that they have to buy it. And that, that brand of 17 magazine that when they started realizing like, Oh yeah, advertisers really want to reach these people because they're easy to get to buy things. Right. Their emotions are all on the surface and easy to, to, to trick and play with. And that was just sad. And it, and it does like, that's where we're at now as a culture is, is, you know, entirely driven by that need to, need to cover ourselves up or or to you know to try to redefine ourselves which is what you do as an adolescent like you're you try on different identities and and you try to do different things and yeah and it is you know it, it is really scary to kind of see it kind of laid out on the page like that even though it's something you know we all know in in that like that age group was defined by the ability for advertisers to trick them you know, or, or to, you know, to convince them to buy things. Yeah. On that note. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we could, we could talk about uh, someone who did a lot of reinvention themselves. Yeah. yeah. It does sort of segue into why we think this book could be on Bowie's list. Uh, you know, the, the first easy explanation I think we had was that Bowie was sort of the first generation that was born with the understanding that he would go through teenagerhood. Like that if it's true that teenage was really branded, like the word teenage started to be used in 1944. This is, this is a definition of a time period. This is a marketable group. Then, you know, he's born in 1947 like that's the first group of kids who are born with the understanding they are going to be kids, then they are going to be teenagers, then they are going to be adults. And and during and they're going to do certain things and consume certain things during that that teenage period. And and yeah. his and his older brother or half brother, um, you know, was a teenager when Bowie was you know in his early youth, you know, when he was nine or ten or so. So he probably heard and saw a lot of that, you know, and kind of you know, b- brought it in by osmosis. Yeah, this wild new way of being and, and the freedom of of it and the creativity and the fashion and... Yeah, the... One thing we did mention that there wasn't a lot of discussion about, you know, black youth or Latinx or Asian youth. Um, the one thing that is mentioned about black youth is like... The music and the slang is what everyone ended up using as, you know, that that became part of teenagerness and that all these pastiche of of cultures start becoming this this playground that you can develop yourself in. Like Bowie's Bowie's creation at that point is like everything is available for me to create myself, which must have been a really rich playground of identity. Totally, yeah, and, and 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 I think the the another weird thing about the book is that black youth are are, are kind of they're they're there indirectly in that they're the generators of this culture that's that's consumed or, or or sort of mutated by by white youth, but but they don't really have their own presence in the book. In the book, you at know, all, we don't hear yeah. any of their stories, and it's a little different in in the movie version in the documentary that came out a couple years ago i think the director was matt wolf um there's a there's a little bit more of how uh you know the the swing um swing music and jitterbug dancing was you know a a sort of a a a liberating thing for black youth at the time as well as white youth um but there's not really much of that in the book though i loved those chapters about like swing culture and like the wild clicks and like the fashion that started developing i think that's the only chapter that or that 
section in the book where um, Latinx youth is also mentioned with the zoot suit. Yeah, yep. And 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 how they were like repressed and and beat up by you know by white soldiers. Yeah. Um, and there's the 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 Zazus, uh, or Zazus in Paris. In Paris. And and that's my new look right now. I, I got <laughs> pants up to my neck. I got a, a little pencil mustache. Got my hair slicked back. It's good luck. Good luck. Yep. Spats. Spat, I've got spats on my uh, shoes and elbows. Oh, I didn't know they made elbow spats. Well, you're not a Zazu. <laughs> you're you're right. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Nor should you be. <laughs> I want to be one of the, the what the description of the wild click, um, the homeless youths in in Germany at this point, depraved and troubled faces of hoodlums. They wore bizarre costumes of Chaplin-esque bowler hats, old women's hats with brims turned up in Amazon fashion, adorned with ostrich plumes and medals, with handkerchiefs or scarves in screaming colors. Their ears were pierced with pendants or enormous rings, while the leather shorts, leather shorts, <laughs> were surmounted by immense triangular belts. That that describes your look pretty well. I, th- I think you, you, you've already got that. You're good to go there. It felt like a very Bowie look, too. Totally. Yeah, that. Um, I, I think there is part of... I mean, there's, the, there's an article that John Savage wrote for the Bowie Is exhibit that was about Bowie meeting Burroughs. And I, I know we've mentioned that article before. I can't remember yeah. which episode... But, it comes up um, again and again. Yeah, because Bowie was very influenced by Burroughs, both both by like the the cut up technique and, um, but in this case he's it's kind of focusing on the Wild Boys book that Burroughs wrote, which was you know gangs of of kids causing trouble and with their Bowie knives. With the Bowie knives, and um, oh, pardon me, Bowie knives. <laughs> No, 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 not Bowie. You know, I, I, I love that David Bowie. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the understanding of fashion and trends as sort of being fleeting. He talks about in that article that Bowie recognized, you know, why he retired Ziggy Stardust was that it was radical and outrageous, but then it just became a movement, a style, and that never lasts long. Right, like once you know, once the market has its hands on it, it it loses its cachet and and needs to be replaced with something else. So he has to to strike out in another direction. I'm sorry to say that your Zazu fashion isn't going to last forever, Greg. No. <laughs> well, I guess it's time to get a hat with a bunch of medals on it. Since <laughs> apparently that's the new thing. <laughs> with your leather shorts. <laughs> I already got those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that I think the fact that he could understand I mean this isn't this is of course long before this book came out. It's not like he was influenced like, "Oh, I understand teenagers now." But I think he was aware enough to know that he had to keep reinventing and just kind of the understanding of the, the teenage psychology was something that was interesting to him that probably led him to read a book like this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like, um, you know, throughout his career, he knew that his fans were teenagers and, and maybe, you know, he it's hard to say how he regarded them, you know, maybe with some disdain or maybe, maybe with just that curiosity, like you're talking about. Um, but he, w- I think he always understood that he had to try to keep out ahead of what was going on. And, and you could, you could see that, you know, in his experiments with like jungle music and, and through some of the collaborations he did. And, and you could see where, where it didn't work too, you know, in, in the nineties where his, um, you know, where his star was kind of shown the, the least, I think, or, or where he kind of struggled to find a new niche. There's a section, there's a quote early on in, in the book Teenage, 
where he's talking about after World War One, youth was more abstract than just the age group. You know, you are between 14 and 25. It was, instead it was about, we are not the past. I am receptive to the new and the vital, and I am angry at what keeps us down and away from that. And I think that that's the Peter Pan that Bowie was. Like, that in that way, he is a teenager because he is receptive to the new and the vital, and that kept him relevant. So you could see, yeah, you could see why he was fascinated with it. Um, but I think you have another reason why Bowie oh, yeah. chose this book. Yeah, the more important reason that this book is on the list is because every single book we've read for Bowie Book Club so far is connected to this book. <laughs> this is in the center of the spider web. At least that, yeah. that's your, your opinion. So I'm making this really elaborate yarn chart, you know, on my wall with like this picture over here connects over here. And then like all the strings are connecting in this wild web to one another. Um, I mean, in some ways, like a lot of the books we've read were mentioned or the authors were mentioned in this book or the concepts that those books were talking about, you know, like the sailor who fell from grace with the sea and the bird artist, you know, both about these like young expressions of violence, sudden like violence and the prime of Miss Jean Brody, like straight up talked about like, don't, don't join one of these girl guides groups, you know, because they're just repressive British things and you should be, you should be youth and free and, and then Maldor, of course, you know, teenage drama queen. And, and the outsider. Yeah, the outsider, obviously. The angry young men. And I mean. And even the insult. Yeah. Even, you know, the character wasn't an adolescent, but it felt like he was in a sort of second adolescence. And Billy Liar, yeah. too, you know, talking. Billy Liar was very, like, that's sort of right at this cusp of I am now. I am now able to be something other than a child or an adult, but what am I? And that conflict. Um, yeah, so a ton of books connect to this. And if not the plot points themselves, then the fact that many of the authors were in here, like um, he talks about the Vorticists, which was Blast and David Bomberg, which we read like the first year yeah. of the book club. Um, yeah, it's, it's crazy how many things end up sort of tying into this book. Even when we were researching for this book, uh, there's a review that came out when this book was published. And do you know who wrote the review, Greg? No, who wrote it? Camille Paglia! Oh, Cammy herself? Cammy herself! Wow. And what did and she have to say about it? That was terrible. It's just terrible, but actually kind of good. Yep. <laughs> she pointed out all its flaws and then doubled back and said, yeah, it's okay. Yeah. In a number of the flaws she pointed out, it was hilarious to see that she points out like, well, he talks about Oscar Wilde in the wrong way because he doesn't talk about these parts of Oscar Wilde. And he doesn't talk about the Greek man love club. And he doesn't talk about like, so it's all things from her book that he doesn't talk about. See? So. Connections. <laughs> but she also says in her review, um, quote, the annihilation of a generation of young men in World War I led to the despair of T.S. Eliot's wasteland, which showed high culture in ruins, but it also set off manic pleasure-seeking of the Roaring Twenties, energized by populist jazz. And so that blurb about this book, Teenage, connects two other books that we read just this year for book club so get the get those string and thumbtacks out another set of connections yeah so now we know that all the books on david bowie's list of 100 books were connected to this book which means that david bowie is john savage right it makes perfect that, it's airtight is that right that's right right so, so so just to just to double check so this replaces your old theory that it was just what was on his shelf 
Um, well, it was just on his shelf because he just finished writing this book. And all of those resources were on that research shelf. Right? 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 Christian, I think you have a bright future as a career conspiracy theorist. Yes! You've shown the ability to adapt previous theories into new theories, which is a hallmark of today's contemporary with, conspiracy theorist. With like crazy ass tethers that are nonsensical, but you could totally make them work. Yeah. It's like confirmation bias. <laughs> Go out and do the research yourself. It'll prove me right. <laughs> <sighs> yep. <laughs> oh, the world we have is terrible. But what song did we pick? Uh, so uh, in a, another connection to teenagerness, um, we, not just from the title, we picked Teenage Wildlife um, from Scary Monsters. Um, but what connected it for me is that I remember at 13 going to the department store and looking in the cutout bin and finding Scary Monsters on cassette tape for $1.99 and bringing <laughs> it home and, and listening to it over and over and over and over and over again. To the point where I, I I would call the local college radio station, uh, WVKR, an incredible station, um, to request fashion, and the DJ said, "You sound like you're like 12," and I'm like, "I'm 13, man," and he hung up <laughs> on me. <laughs> I I think that um, Scary Monsters was one of my first albums too. I was I wow. remember going in. We had a back when thrift stores were awesome and you could find things in them. Uh, I found scary monsters and pinups in like a thrift store bin. Wow, I could not imagine finding a Bowie record or any non-Lawrence Welk record at a thrift store these days. That's amazing. Yeah, in high school, my sister and I used to just go to these awesome thrift stores and they'd pay like 25 cents for a paper bag and you could just fill it. Wow. Uh, and it was good stuff because people used to have good stuff and then they wanted cheap stuff. And so they got rid of their good stuff so they could replace it with cheap stuff. And, and we took all the good stuff. And now all the good stuff is gone. And it's on eBay it's, for oh, five million times more. <laughs> now we don't sound like teenagers. We sound like old people. I do not ah, sound yes. very vital at this point. <laughs> but I think Teenage Wildlife was the right choice. And it's, um, a, it's a great song. And it's kinda, it kind of talks about like the new style that's coming, right? That because he kind of casts shade on the on the new musicians, the Devo or whatever. He doesn't say it by name. But, but yeah, he's, he, you can tell he's kind of talking about like Susie Sue the and, and the new yeah. romantics and um, who he recruited for the video for um, Ashes to Ashes. Um, and, and and there's a great article about that video and. and it's sort of like an oral history, if I remember right. I'll, I'll see if I can dig up the link to it. Um, but his relationship to the the sort of musicians who came after him, it, it, it's a fascinating thing because it does kind of show that trying to keep up with the generations, you know, coming up next and, and, and sort of like the tension in that. So what do we got coming up next? Well, apropos of the world as it is, we uh, have A People's History of the United States by Howard Zinn. Old Zinny. Yep. And initially, I think this book would have fallen in November, but we switched it so that we could read it right in the thick of things just before the election. Yep. And, uh, and you're reading, um, in addition to that, you're reading uh, a, a related book, and, and so am I. Yeah, so I also picked up a copy of A Black Woman's Guide to America, or Black Woman's Guide to the United States, because, you know, this year I was supposed to be just reading women authors, but the book club always has men on it. So um, in a way to kind of balance it out, I'm reading The Black Woman's Guide to the United States while reading A People's History of the United States. And you were nice enough to lend me uh, the indigenous people's uh, history of the United States, which I'm, I'm uh, really, uh, uh, the author is Roxanne uh, Dunbar Ortiz. Um, I hope I'm getting that right, but I, I'm really psyched to, to check that out. Yeah, so I think it'll give a nice, because I haven't read Howard Zinn's book, um, but it is, you know, a white man writing it. And so it's nice to have a bit of the, um, 
comparison and additions that we tend to see are lacking in some of the books that we read on this list. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just good to get different perspectives. Um, wow, I remember seeing Howard Zinn speak at Boston University years ago, and it was like a dual sort of thing with uh, Noam Chomsky. And it was like Noam Chomsky was the opening act, and he was sort of like your friend's acoustic, you know, kind of mopey band. Uh, <laughs> and then Howard Zinn came on, and he was like Bruce Springsteen. Just... <laughs> lit up the place so i'm excited i'm excited to read um his book so we're reading bruce springsteen this time (laughs) yes the boss's history of the united states by (laughs) dr bruce springsteen esquire (laughs) actually i would read that that would probably be pretty good (laughs) well you'll have to write it and then ghost ghost write it right yep yep so that that'll be my assignment for next month all right well, get busy. Yeah. Oh, oh boy. In the meantime, uh, what else are you reading? Oh, I just finished uh, Hamnet, um, and I'm, I'm going to space on the author's name. Maybe I can look it up. Maybe I can look it up without spending too much time. Maggie O'Farrell. Um, it's uh, the story of... Uh, it's it, Well, it's, it's an imagined uh, story of uh, Shakespeare's uh, wife and the death of his son. Um, and it's, it's a f- fascinating book. I, I loved every page of it. Um, it's just, it's just a, a beautifully told story that puts her at the center of it. And, and, and Shakespeare is kind of like a minor character really. Um, mm. and, and, and just the, the way that it, it talks about the period and about, about her as, as a person, um, and, and this sort of mystical, um, this sort of, this oddly mystical way of looking at the world um, was it was just a really good read for like the end of summer. Oh, nice! I am finishing up Pachinko, which is like this epic family story about Koreans living in Japan from uh, I think just after World War One, or, or just before World War Two, really, like, it's when they, they have to go over to Japan, and Japan is already, like, controlling Korea, so there's tension there, through, I think, the 80s is when the, so you're seeing about four generations of families, and the kind of messed up relationship of Koreans and their treatment in Japan. Um, and it's excellent. It's really good. Your mom really liked that book. Yeah, yeah. I remember she, she recommended it. Um, and, yeah. and it was really popular too, right? Like it. Yeah, and I think they're making or have made a movie and or series. I'm really up to date on this. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think that there was some movie tie-in that might have boosted its uh, appeal again for people. And I'm also reading the new book by Ali Broche, who wrote Hyperbole and a Half. Oh, Her cool. new book is Solutions and Other Problems. I had a really bad day yesterday, but it had arrived on my doorstep because I had pre-ordered it from um, a bookstore. And that made my day better because I just sat down and started reading it. And she's so funny. Oh yeah, she's great. I I saw an excerpt from that um, from the book a couple of days ago, and it's like, oh, the story magic. about her neighbor. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll link to that. That's really good. <laughs> Where she's like three years old and like sneaking into her neighbor's house through his cat door and like taking things, including his cat. <laughs> don't spoil it. Don't spoil it. It's so good. <laughs> we'll cut this out. We'll cut it. We'll, we'll cut it. Out. <laughs> she's so good. Her her animal stories are priceless oh man that's great can i borrow that when you're done oh yeah totally cool anyway so uh let's hear what you're reading out there and or read along with us in the next month do i say and or a lot um well more or less that's i think that's (laughs) the phrase that i rely on too much myself (laughs) You can find us at the Boy Book Club 
dot com and or on Twitter <laughs> at Boy Book Pod and, and or, or on Facebook at Boy Book Club Podcast and or on Instagram at the Boy Book Club. So uh, thank you for uh, listening to us. I hope you like us more or less. Um, <laughs> and we'll see you again in about a month. Yeah, see you then. <laughs> Bye. anything i think i don't think we did i think we did all right we missed talking about how dramatic and annoying we were as teenagers oh yeah oh god i was a monster i was a a pizza-faced monster (laughs) i i had like wallpapered my room with pictures from magazines for instance 17 magazine which my grandmother got me a subscription to and so i had like tons of just advertising images all over my walls like all over like no breathing room (laughs) and And i wonder what that urge is because i totally did that too with like pictures of like james dean and marilyn monroe it's like psychosis and you start putting strings between them like you're a psycho killer so does that mean you're going through like a second adolescence now? <laughs> Trying to tie all the books together? Uh, no. <laughs> you're supposed to be like, God, I am, but you wouldn't understand. Whatever, you don't get me, Greg. You just don't get me. And then like slam your bedroom door. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. It's just tough. Uh, I wish you knew. It's a. <laughs> it's a good thing that my uh, my adolescent journals are at the bottom of a landfill somewhere. <laughs> oh, that's right. Mine are in the uh, Aegean Sea somewhere. <laughs> oh, that's right. You told me about that. <laughs> when I went to Greece, I was like, mm, yeah, I'm going to take my old journals and just like throw them in the ocean that's in Greece, not here, so that even if they're found, no one will know. <laughs> It's, so like Poseidon is reading your journals now. Yeah, and like rolling his eyes, like, oh my god, <laughs> you're so dramatic. <laughs> ah, that's funny. Mm. Mm, 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 mm.